You're listening to an episode of A Walk to Remember, a podcast created for Yom HaShoah. Join us today and every day in pledging to never forget the Holocaust. When talking about Holocaust film, gender and sexuality are very important. Within these films, women are used as objects, seen as simple characters due to them being women, or are shown in the film fleetingly or not at all. This is because women, Jewish women, weren't seen as people. They were just an object to be manipulated. For the research portion of this essay, I have found 12 European films that span the beginning of the Holocaust till closer to the present. I must admit, it was hard to find films with women in general. When searching for movies, I had to repeatedly check the cast list and plot to see if there was a woman mentioned, and this tells a lot about the Holocaust film industry already. When it comes to depictions of women in Holocaust film, their stereotype is one of three characters. The femme fatale, who uses her sexuality to tempt men, the aggressor, or the beaten survivor. The Night Train to Munich is a British-American Holocaust thriller from 1940, and the main woman, Anna is her damsel in distress. She is kidnapped, arrested, and all of her escape attempts are thwarted by men. Anna is a pawn to the men in the story, and with many other films, women are commonly categorized as others, victims, and rescuers, which severely downsizes their complexity. The Last Stage is a Polish film that has two female characters, Eugenia and Lelunia. Eugenia is strong because she helps women in the barracks by giving them the medicine they need. Lelunia, however, is seen as selfish. She gets access to medicine as well, but she only administers it to the capos for things like clothes and perfume, leaving the sick women in the barracks to die. Lelunia is a common stereotype, the power-hungry woman, in which the male writers are diminishing their, the characters, importance in characterizing their experiences is marked only by viciousness. Stars is the German-Bulgarian film where a Nazi falls in love with a Greek-Jewish girl. This is problematic because the girl, Ruth, falls in love with her captor, and there's a power play at hand. She's just a pawn for her lover to manipulate. In the Italian film Capo, Judith is a 14-year-old who sells her body to an officer for food and eventually moves to the ranks to become a Capo herself. She's a hero in the end, when she dies leading an escape. She's seen as an object in the film, but it's not as bad as some of the other films of this time. There are many second-hand reports of sexual exploitation in camps, so this is not far-fetched. Romeo and Juliet in Darkness is a Czechoslovakian film that reminds us of Shakespeare's play. Anna is hidden in Pavel's attic in Prague, and they fall in love. The problematic thing about this film is that Pavla's hen is only linked to the outside world, so there is definitely a power play at hand. In 1960, the Yugoslavian film The Ninth Circle was released, which follows a girl named Ruth who has an arranged marriage with a band named Ivo. Ivo dismisses her as a child, but realizes this is wrong and tries to make the relationship better. Later, Ivo saves Ruth from officers, and they have sex in a guard tower, implying that she thinks she owes Ivo something for saving her. Later, Ivo is told to have one last go at her before she dies. Ruth is a damsel in distress and an object in this film, and we see some obscenity in the way the officers act towards her. Passenger is a Polish film that follows a relationship between two women. 
Lisa was an officer who saved Marta, an inmate, and they meet again years later. There isn't a lot on this film because it technically isn't finished, but it seems to be a genuine relationship between an officer who decided to save an inmate. In the Czechoslovakian film, The Shop on Main Street, Anton gets ownership of a store that is still owned by an old, near-deaf Jewish woman named Rosalia. She's seen as annoying because that's how Anton feels about her. He accidentally kills her in the end of the film by trying to quiet her, but she falls and breaks her neck. She is characterized as a nuisance because of her disability. The Night Porter, a 1974 Italian film, follows Lucia's and Max's relationship with sadomasochistic elements and with Lucia as a seductress. Max, at one point, chains her up in his room to keep her safe. Lucia is objectified throughout the film, and her character is written as someone for a man to take care of, as Max says that he found his little girl again. This relationship was created earlier, when Lucia was a teen in a concentration camp. It's common for women to have been linked to sexual perversion, sadomasochism, nymphomania, etc., and Lucia is an example of this. Seven Beauties is an Italian film that follows Pasqualino, who survives camp life by providing sexual favors to the obese and ugly female commandant, whose name is Stoller. Stoller is there to be made fun of, as she is seen as undesirable. Her role is to be a joke for men, and to be seen as the aggressor. This type of female character, and their complicity, are portrayed in these films, is simplistic and problematic. Gestapo's last orgy is an Italian film so awful that the plot summary made my stomach churn. Objectification is everything in this film, and women are just for men to use. In one part of the film, the female inmates are then raped, tortured, sodomized with bats, and sexually humiliated in an orgy while Commandant Stark and a visiting SS General watch. Unfortunately, this was common. Women in particular were sexually harassed and humiliated and many soldiers derived pleasure from shaving and tattooing the naked women. The obscene in film is what we don't want to see, but right in front of your eyes. In Holocaust film, obscenity is almost necessary if such films are to help us understand the horrors during World War II. Documentaries and newsreels showed the star of corpses without clothes, or prisoners with their uniforms hanging loosely on their shoulders. With this comes the definition of obscenity. It's not something people want to see, but in some ways we may need to see it. No matter how obscene these films get, those who are not there will never fully gasp the experience. Sarah Horowitz argues that using violent female-based images or videos when talking about the Holocaust further objectify women. This is a counter-argument to the idea of needing obscenity in Holocaust film. When sexual violence, gratuitous violence, and suffering are depicted in films, are we extending the trauma for the survivors? According to Kristen Wilson, Holocaust films straddle being insensitive for not realistically depicting the horrors of the Holocaust and having glimmers of hope when there weren't any. In films like Hotel Rwanda, Schindler's List, and Life is Beautiful, there is reliance on the hero and their journey to a good ending. This is not reflective of the vast majority of experiences for the victims of the Rwandan genocide or the Holocaust. As Nick Hughes explains, there is nothing good about genocide. Some filmmakers look for something that can end on a note of hope, a note of progression, a note of humanity. In the real story of genocide, there is no hope. One of the dangers inherent in this approach to Holocaust film is that the memory is in danger of being diluted. Sue Andrews reminds us that gender in the Holocaust becomes more synonymous with women 
and that questions about gender roles and their meanings are often unexamined. Women were targeted during the Holocaust because of their maternal and sexual bodies, which were seen as dangerous by the Nazi party, because if they weren't Aryan, and if they were pregnant, they're perpetuating the Jewish problem. German women in Holocaust homes are characterized as villains. Jewish women in Holocaust homes are robbed of their complexity. Women are objectified, seen as evil, don't exist in the film at all, seen as a sad survivor, or are pushed to the background. Just as the triumphant narrative common in Holocaust film misrepresents the Holocaust experience, these one-dimensional female characters further limit the educational value of Holocaust film to preserving the memory of suffering. For many, film may be the only exposure they have to the history and memory of the Holocaust. We do a disservice to the memory and the reality of the victims and survivors when we create films that marginalize and whitewash women's experiences. Thank you for listening. All the episodes in this podcast were written and researched by the students in Mercyhurst's History and Memory of the Holocaust class. We'd like to thank the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, which provides educational resources, primary source collections, and more at no cost to students and educators like us. Education is the first step to combating hate. You can support this mission by supporting your local Holocaust education initiatives or by donating directly to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum at ushmm.org support.